Scripture reading for this morning comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. Paul writes, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning we're going to talk about cravings. A craving you can define simply as a strong desire for something. And just the other day, I experienced this type of craving. I was extremely thirsty. I mean, my mouth was dry and my lips felt like they were shriveling up. I mean, you ever been that thirsty? And you just, you know what I was craving? Something to drink. I was thirsty. And so we've all experienced that sensation of, you know, being hungry, being thirsty, and the resultant you know, craving of wanting something to drink, something to eat. And so, you know, some things that we crave are good. And some things that we crave are just plain weird. Uh, About half of women, this is an article I read recently, about half of women in the United States report at least one food craving during pregnancy, says Judith Brown, author of What to Eat Before, During, and After Pregnancy. And those cravings aren't aren't all for pickles and ice cream. They often run the gamut. Moms confess to wanting pickles wrapped in cheese, salsa spoons straight out of the jar, and yes, even steak fat. One woman's passion was for black olives on Sara Lee cheesecake. Another mom told us that she ate a steady diet of cheese Whiz sandwiches, which now, after having the baby, can't stand the sight of. Eggplant, especially on pizza, was another expectant mother's obsession. So, you know, some of our crazy cravings are good. Some of them are just a little weird. But we also have some harmful cravings. Uh, have you ever heard of the condition that some people suffer from called pica? Pica is a condition where a person craves and eats non-food substances such as dirt, laundry soap, starch, hair, matches among other things. The name pica comes from the Latin word meaning magpie, which is a bird known to be a scavenger that will eat just about anything. Pica is usually associated with nutritional deficiencies, yet it can occur where there are no deficiencies. It strikes people all across the socioeconomic board 
and is not race or ethnicity specific. So as it relates to cravings, you know, I, I see there's, a, there's several parallels between what our physical body craves and what our souls crave. Some things are good, some things are harmful. And in this passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning, Paul warns the church of two harmful cravings. And then he gives us two correctives. So the first harmful craving is found in verse 3. It is the unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels. So just as harmful cravings are produced by malnutrition of the body, the harmful cravings for controversy and quarrels are produced by doctrinal malnutrition. Listen to what he says in verses 3 through 5. He says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So notice at the beginning of verse 3, Paul says that these unhelpful or unharmful cravings begin because there is a disagreement with the sound or healthy, or maybe your translation says wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. And so this word that's translated sound or healthy is the word where we get our word hygiene. It's the idea of uh, purity, wholeness, to be healthy, to be in good health. And so Paul's saying that when we remove the healthy words of Christ from our diet, we begin to crave controversy and quarrels and the like. In other words, once we remove the craving of God's Word from our diet, we begin to crave things that are harmful and unhealthy for our souls and our relationships with other people. So just as eating harmful things, like laundry soap and dirt, can cause harm to our bodies and cause us to be bloated and sick, in the same way, when we remove God's Word from our diet, we become, Paul says, puffed up, conceited, and ignorant. And the result is envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction. So what you see is what you, the result is a breakdown in your relationships and a degeneration of your soul. If you remove the nutrition of God's Word from your diet and you turn from that, you begin to have a breakdown in how you relate to people and even your own person begins to degenerate. And so the question is, well, what is the solution to these harmful cravings? If you find yourself craving these harmful things, and if controversy seems to, seems to follow you around, and constant fighting, and you find, well, maybe I'm attributing to that, well, what do you do? How do you uh, begin to have healthy cravings instead of these harmful cravings? Well, all throughout this letter, Paul has been stressing the need to hold on to and crave what he calls sound doctrine. In other words, he tells Timothy, 
the, in other places in this letter, he says to guard the deposit. In other words, something has been deposited into Timothy, given to him that he needs to guard, namely the Word of God, that which has come through the apostles and the prophets. Paul has taught Timothy this. He's given Timothy this. And so he's to guard it. He's not to move away from it to the right or to the left. He's to guard this deposit. So this deposit is the Word of God. And then in verse 2, right before we get to verse 3, he says you need to teach and urge these things. These things meaning the, the truths of God. And so the way we deal with unhealthy and the harmful cravings of the sinful nature is that we need to nourish ourselves on the Word of God. Psychologist uh, Leah Gibson from the University College of London, she works with the uh, Health Behavior Unit and they study appetite and food choice. And uh, what she decided to do in this study, she rounded up several dozen student volunteers uh, to find out whether people could be trained out of their cravings. Okay, we all have these cravings, right? Can we be trained out of these cravings? And so what she did is she had these students in the study, they they ate half of a bar of milk chocolate twice a day for two weeks. I know some of you are thinking, I'd like to sign up for that study. (laughs) I'll be... Twice a day, two weeks, half a bar of milk chocolate uh, is what they would need to eat. Now, half of the group ate their chocolate ration 15 minutes after finishing a meal. So right after the meal, 15 minutes right after the meal, they would eat their bar of chocolate. The other half of the group had to wait two hours after the meal to eat their bar of chocolate. And after two weeks... The volunteers who had been eating the chocolate on an empty stomach, the two hour after the meal group, reported that their craving for chocolate was stronger. By contrast, the students who had been eating the chocolate on a full stomach said their cravings were much weaker. And so, it seems that by eating the sweet when they weren't hungry, the volunteers had trained themselves to like it Less, And so what does this have to do with us? Well, one, there's a little helpful tip if you want to wean yourself off chocolate. (laughs) Second, the point is, if you fill yourself up on healthy food, then you tend to crave unhealthy food less. So how does that translate to the soul? These unhealthy cravings of the sinful nature. Well, if we want to become healthy, then we need to begin to crave that which will make us healthy. And the point is to fill yourself up on healthy food, namely the Word of God. And as we fill ourselves up on who God is, we tend to crave those harmful desires less and less. So just like the students who filled themselves up with healthy food no longer crave chocolate, We must fill ourselves up with the Word of God so that the cravings of controversy and quarrels will diminish. Now, what does that look like? We know for the chocolate people, you had to, for two weeks, eat some chocolate right after your meal, and over time, you you would lose the craving, at least somewhat. Well, what does that look like for our soul? How do we deal with this practically? Well, first of all, it means that you must believe the Gospel. You must believe that God created you to know Him personally. You must acknowledge that you are a sinner and you are in need of God's forgiveness and help. 
you must realize and acknowledge and embrace the fact that Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. And then finally, you must desire or crave to follow Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. So it begins with a relationship with God. That's how we deal with these unhealthy cravings in our lives. It begins with a relationship with God. Then it is allowing the way you see the world to be guided by what Scripture says. So it begins with a relationship. And in the way we grow in that relationship is to allow the Bible, God's Word, to begin to influence and give us the eyes to see the world around us. So we want the way we see the world to be influenced and and guided by what God says is true. And then finally, we need to allow that knowledge to affect how we treat people around us. And so it begins with the relationship. We must begin to embrace reality the way God sees it. And then we need to allow that knowledge to begin to influence how we actually behave on a day-to-day basis with the people around us. And that's how we begin to crave the good things, the healthy food, so to speak. And we're able to suppress those unhealthy cravings. Now, you need to realize this. Don't ignore the fact that you have unhealthy cravings. That's not going to work. And don't just simply try to resist unhealthy cravings. That's not going to work either. What you need to do is replace unhealthy cravings with a greater craving, a better craving. And that is the Word of God. We need to embrace the reality the way God sees it and allow that to impact how we view the world and how we embrace those around us. And what this will do is it will actually minimize the controversy and the quarreling that we may find ourselves craving at times. So just like your body needs nourishment every day to function properly, so your soul needs to be nourished by the truth of God's Word in order to grow into the person God wants you to be. So that's the first unhealthy craving. This unhealthy craving for controversy and quarreling. Second unhealthy craving is found in verses 6 through 10. It's the, it's the harmful craving for wealth. Look with me at verses 9 and 10 specifically. He says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through the, this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Here's the picture he's talking about with craving. I want you to picture yourself on, on the edge of a ledge. Okay? And let's say the ledge is slowly but surely giving way. And you're reaching out to grab that one thing that you believe will provide you with security and meaning. It's the one thing. You could imagine maybe like a rope out there swinging. And the ledge is giving way. You're reaching forward. This is this picture of craving. You're reaching forward to it. You want to grab hold of it. And then you realize the only way that you're going to be able to grab hold of it is to leave the ledge and grasp hold of that, whatever it is you're trying to grab hold of. This is the picture of craving. It's, this is what I want the most. And so the question is, what is it, what is it that you want the most? What are you 
grasping for. You see, in Ephesus, there were some, wealth was what they were grasping for. That's what they were putting all of their emphasis, all of their energy. It was the ultimate goal to become more and more wealthy, to have more and more. And so they thought by grasping that, it would hold them. And it would give them what they really wanted. But Paul says that craving for more and more actually plunges you into ruin and destruction. Well, why does it do that? Because it can't hold your weight. Right? It can't hold the weight of eternity. That's the problem. And nothing can. Specifically, he's talking about wealth, but it just can't hold the weight of eternity. And so when you grasp it with the weight of eternity, it gives way and it plunges you into despair. Because it just can't support it. And it was never meant to. And yet people were trying to put it all on there, all on the line for wealth. And Paul is warning against that. Money can't give you what you need the most, which is what Paul says actually is what we need is contentment. Some of you know uh, Jim Carrey, the comedian, the actor. This is what he once said. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And he should know. I mean, he's done quite well financially, right? And yet he says, I, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of so they can realize that isn't the answer. It can't hold the weight of eternity. President Jimmy Carter addressed the nation on July 15, 1979. Maybe some of you remember this speech. But this is part of the speech. This is what he said. He said, in a nation that was proud of hard work, strong families, close-knit communities, and our faith in God, too many of us now tend to worship self-indulgence and consumption. Human identity is no longer defined by what one does, but what one owns. But we've discovered that owning things and consuming things does not satisfy our longing for meaning. We've learned that piling up material goods cannot fill the emptiness of lives which have no confidence or purpose. See, contentment doesn't come from what you own, but it comes from knowing who you are and why you're here. Who you are and why you are here. Contentment comes from knowing that my worth is not found in my bank account, but rather in where I stand with God. But with that said, I want you to notice what Paul says about money in verse 10. Paul tells us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But notice he doesn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. Right? He doesn't say that. He says the love of money. If, you're, if, if money is the thing you're reaching for, grasping for, that produces all kinds of evil. But money is simply a tool. It's a tool. It's, and it can be a wonderful tool, a good tool. You know, money provide you can provide your family with shelter and education and clothing and food and health care and 
all these wonderful things. You can help others. I mean, money is a wonderful tool, but also with money we can oppress people. We can participate in activities that are not in line with God's, God's will and His ways. I mean, you can do all kinds of things with money, but money's a tool. And so it's really all up to the user and how money will be used. Will it be used for good purposes or evil purposes? I mean, it's really up to you. I mean, money is just a tool. And there's no special virtue in being rich or poor. There's no special virtue in having more or less. Wealth is a tool, and it's used, and how it's used is up to the user. And Paul gives us some guidance as to use our money in verses 17 and 19, if you drop down a little further. Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, you know, arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Notice Paul says, tell the rich not to be rich. (laughs) He doesn't say that. He says, tell the rich, those who have more than they need, to be rich in good works, and to be generous. So having little or having much, there's no special virtue in that, but rather it's about what are you going to do with what you have. And so Paul tells those with wealth to be rich in good works and to be generous. So I think what his guidance would be for us is earn money. Get a job, earn money, provide for your family, If you can make more money in the position you're in, that's fine. And with the amount that you have above and beyond your needs, be rich in good works and be generous. And so for the Christian, I think his point is, for the Christian, the follower of Jesus, our goal is not to try to make as much money as possible, even though making money is not a bad thing. But rather, our goal is godliness. Right? That's what we're pursuing. We want to pursue godliness. And if by doing that in a a position that we may have and we earn more money than we actually spend on ourselves and we are able to make more money, that's fine. He just says, okay, now I want you to keep pursuing godliness with that and be rich in good works. Be a generous person. And this principle is illustrated well in the life of John Wesley. John Wesley was a Methodist pastor and missionary. He lived uh, from 1703 to 1791. Now, in 1731, Wesley began to limit his expenses so that he would have more money to give to the poor. So basically, at some point in his life here, John Wesley said, You know what? Okay, I want to I just figure out okay, how much money do I need to live on, and I'm going to try to live off that. And then any amount of money I give beyond that, I want to be able to give out to other, other causes and needs. And so, for him, that meant living off, in his day, 28 pounds. And I'll I'll convert it for you in just a minute. But he decided, I'm going to live off 28 pounds. And his income that year was 30 pounds. So what does that mean? That means he gave away 2 pounds. Right? I know school's out, kids. I know you're thinking math. 30, 28, 2 pounds. He gave away first year. So, next year, his income doubled. But he still lived on 28 pounds. 
which allowed him to give away the remaining 32 pounds. I know this is beginning to sound like a word problem. Just stick with me. The next two years, his income continued to increase so that in the fourth year, he was able to give away 92 pounds to the poor. And so let me convert this. At this point, Wesley was making about $160,000 a year. But he was living as if he was making $20,000 a year. So for, for John Wesley, he just basically set his standard of living. This is my standard of living. And any amount I make over that, I want to give away. And so he started at one income. His income continued to grow. Notice that John Wesley didn't say, don't give me more money. I don't want to make any more money. No, he said, yeah, you want to double my income? Great. I'm just going to be able to give away more money and help more people. And so I think this principle is uh, lived out well with him. And there's other examples of this. But I think this is how we experience contentment with God. It's not about how much can we rack up for ourselves but rather, how can I pursue godliness? How can I be rich in good works? How can I become a generous person? Because, you know, we all have cravings, don't we? I mean, we all have cravings. Some cravings are good. Some are harmful. And as followers of Jesus, let us crave the healthy words of Christ. And let us experience contentment that comes from pursuing godliness. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word and how it speaks to our condition. Lord, you know our hearts. Uh, that they tend to grasp for, for things that are not you. Lord, help us to uh, reach forward and crave ultimately you. A relationship with you. Help us to pursue godliness. And in light of that, in light of that relationship with you, Lord, help us to See how to best use the resources we have, the talents you've given us, uh, the platforms you've given us in this city. And Lord, help us to leverage all those things uh, for your glory and for the good of those around us. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.